We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, we've got today and then we'll wrap up uh, next week before we head into the Christmas season here at Grace. But we are in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you have a Bible in uh, verses 8 and 9. You can also find this printed in your bulletin. This is God's Word. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. We pray for us. Father in heaven, we do pray as we approach your word that you would uh, cause me to divide it rightly, handle it faithfully. Uh, Father, we pray that you speak to us uh, in spite of my sin, in spite of my weakness. Uh, God, that you would open this passage up to us and that you would uh, help us to think rightly about what it means to live as Christians uh, in a fallen world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. About four years ago, a movie came out called Avatar. Anybody remember this movie? Nobody? Okay, it was the blockbuster of the decade, but nobody remembers it. Uh, or supposedly, we've forgotten already, a little refresher. Avatar tells the story of blue-skinned aliens living on the planet Pandora. This is probably all forgotten. Um, whose existence is threatened by humans, and their only hope is this one marine, and then really their hope is... The All Mother, which is not like the Mother of the Year, but it's it's this energy force that permeates the planet, and everybody on the planet is somehow connected to. Uh, a writer in the New York Times said that Avatar was basically a, a defense of pantheism. Now, what's pantheism? Pantheism basically uh, equates God with nature. The God is nature, and we just get into communion with God somehow that way. So uh, some of us have spent several weeks reading The Reason for God. That's a defense of Christianity. He is making the case that Avatar is a defense of and apologetic for pantheism. I'm not going to talk about pantheism this morning. But I do want to ask the question, should a Christian uh, go to movies like Avatar? Should a Christian... Uh, watch movies, read books, listen to music that promotes an anti-Christian way of life, that promotes lifestyles or choices that the Bible wouldn't approve of. Uh, There are those who would say, no, a a Christian shouldn't do those things. And verse 8 that we just read is one of the reasons uh, that is often used. That because of what we read here in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, think about those things, then Christians shouldn't watch the Hunger Games. The next installment's coming out this week. There's too much violence in that, so you shouldn't watch the Hunger Games. You shouldn't read Harry Potter because uh, there's too much magic in that or whatever. Uh, you shouldn't listen to, to rock music because there's too many, too much sex and drugs in that. Something, something along those lines. That, that these things are not true and beautiful and they have no value for us and show as a believer you shouldn't think about these things. Is that a legitimate use of, 
of this verse. We're really going to harp on verse 8, but we're not really touching on verse 9 today. But uh, we're going to think about this. One of the things this verse certainly addresses is our need to think uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. Henry Blamers, I believe, he once said that the tragedy of the Christian mind is that there is no Christian mind. In other words, that, that believers don't make a habit of thoughtfully engaging the world around us. So either, without much reflection, we accept things in culture as they are, as things for us to consume, or we just out of hand reject everything and say, Christians shouldn't have anything to do with that. I'm going to pull away from that. We don't really reflect about the things around us. Well, that's what we're going to do a little bit is, is hopefully reflect on these things. And I want us to see basically, there's going to be one longer point and then one shorter point at the end, how this verse calls us, first of all, to think about the culture that we live in. And then secondly, how it calls us ultimately to think and meditate on Jesus Christ and His gospel. So, first of all, let's talk about the culture. In order for me to do this, I've got to do a, a, a lot of kind of backstory here, a lot of uh, whatever, spade work. In order to, for this to make sense, you've got to understand what, you don't have to understand what the Bible says about this world that we live in, what the, what the world is actually like. Okay, so here's kind of the, here's kind of the, the, the brief history of the world. Uh, God created the world out of nothing. He spoke the world into existence. After He created the world, God said that what He had made was good. Genesis 1.31 tells us God saw all that He was made, all that He had made, and it was very good. So this world God has created is a good world. God also made Adam and Eve. He made man and woman. And He told them to rule over and to take care of this world that He created. Uh, Genesis 1.26 God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? He creates the world. He creates man and woman to be caretakers of this good world that he's created. So far, so good. What happened next? You go back and read those early chapters of Genesis. You see that Adam and Eve rebelled against God's rule. They rebelled against their maker. And the result of that is that all of creation was then cursed. Uh, Genesis 3, God tells Adam... Cursed is the ground because of you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks of this present world being in bondage to decay. And so the Bible essentially says that this is a good world, but it's a broken world. That this world is made of people who were made in the image of God, but just as the world is broken and fallen, so the people who are made in the image of God are also broken and fallen. But, and this is the key, and you've got to understand this, all people everywhere still bear the image of God. And the world and the people in the world still bear marks of God's goodness and God's kindness even in the middle of their fallenness and sin. Acts 14.17 God has shown His kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. 
Matthew 5.45 He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Okay, God gives rain from heaven. He gives a stable environment. He gives food. He gives friendships. He gives amazing mental abilities and physical abilities. He gives joy both to those who love Him and to those who don't. He gives both believers and unbelievers the ability to discover truth and to make things that are good and beautiful. Now, might go back and do a little Genesis reading later today. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, you'll see, and this is probably a passage you don't have your devotions out of very often. Uh, but Genesis chapter 4, Jabel was the father of those who dwell in tents and raise livestock. Jubal was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. Tubal-Cain was the instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. Now, whose children are these? Who are they the descendants of? They're not the descendants of Abel. They're the descendants of the murderous Cain who killed his brother Abel. These are, these are Cain's descendants. And can't you hear somebody saying, well, you know, you can't use harps and flutes in worship because one of Cain's sons made them. Those are not, those are not holy instruments. Cain's kids created those. The, the musical instruments that are used to worship God, tool making, agriculture, originated in the family line of Cain. Not the best family tree, I would think. But yeah, these people are capable of producing good things. So, uh, is the world fallen? Yes. People do a lot of bad things. Yes. Are we all guilty before a holy God without hope save in His mercy in Jesus Christ? Yes. But even in the midst of all this fallenness, we still have the task, first of all, of ruling and caring for the world, of developing the potentials of the creation around us. That's why you're, many of you are going to school. We have the responsibilities of, of creating culture that we live in, crafting it. And secondly, all human cultures bear the marks of sin of fallenness, of the curse, and they also bear the marks of God kind, God's kindness. Even the cultures that reject Him. Even what we might think of as the most corrupt culture. <coughs> we see, we can find the marks of God's grace. The, the footprints, as it were, the shadow of God's grace and kindness. I have a friend who along these lines like to bring up the Aztecs who are pretty brutal civilization and yet came up with a base 12 number system. Which is incredible for you math people. Um, the rest of us not so much. Uh, man is fallen, but, but because of, of God's kindness, even in the middle of sin, even in the middle of people's disregard for, for God, there's still things that are true and beautiful for us to see. And doesn't Philippians 4, verse 8, tell us to think about those things wherever we find them. Let it tell us to think about that beauty and that truth. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, and he may not have won anybody's good citizenship award. The man can play the guitar. Uh, Tiger Woods, 
is not going to win Husband of the Year award. But he has got incredible skills on the golf course that, that, that are gifts from God and, and that ought to be admired. Let me be a, a little more provocative, perhaps. Uh, think about a homosexual couple. And we would say that the Bible says that homosexuality is sin. But think about a homosexual, a homosexual couple. One of the partners is, is in the hospital. Uh, they're very ill. And the other one is constantly at their bedside emptying bedpans. Is it a sinful lifestyle? Yes. But isn't there something beautiful happening in the midst of that where one person is selflessly serving another person? There's marks of God's kindness even in the midst of things and even in the midst of relationships that are fallen and wrong in God's eyes. On the other hand, even cultures that we might think of as being the most honoring the God still bear the marks of the curse. Alright, think of a church-going Christian couple at church week after week after week, but when they go home, the wife verbally abuses the husband, and the husband verbally abuses or physically abuses the wife, and they both neglect the kids. Professing believers, and yet there are these marks of fallenness. They're still affected by the curse. So, what that means is that, quote, bad cultures because of God's kindness, can still produce great things. Quote, good cultures can still produce a lot of sin and bad things. Now, what does that all mean for our thinking about culture? Every day, you and I engage with what we're going to call a cultural text. I like texting each other, but cultural text. And what I mean by that is uh, movies, television shows, magazine articles, uh, videos on YouTube, uh, editorials in the newspaper, cultural text. And on the one hand, sin, because we're sinful, sin distorts the culture that we're a part of. And we need to be wise and careful about how we interact with it. Uh, Ted Turnow, in his book, Popologetics, uh, says something along the lines of that, that culture was intended to be good because it's formed from God's good creation. But what do we do with God's good creation? We abuse it and we neglect it and we misuse it. So what do we do with food that's meant to be good for us and glorify God? We misuse food. We overeat. We binge. We purge. We make an idol out of food. What do we do with clothes? We use clothes to make us feel better about ourselves. Or we use the way we dress to tempt other people. Uh, we use computers the wrong way. We use them to overwork, or we've always got our cell phone, we can always be working and neglect our family. Or we use them while we're at work to, uh, to play whatever game on Facebook that nobody wants you to play, um, Candy Crush or whatever, Minesweeper. We use them to neglect the work that God is calling us to do. We glue ourselves to the television so that we don't have to interact with other people. Uh, these cultures, uh, the world is originally intended to reflect God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so the cultures that we create in the world ought to join with the world in also declaring the glory of God. Here, here's how he puts it. The cultures we create were originally intended to join in with creation 
amplifying its messages that glorify God. Culture was supposed to harmonize with the songs that nature sings to God's glory. Instead, culture now seeks to drown out that music and replace it with its own tunes. Culture now turns out songs that glorify us, our youth, beauty, affluence, spirituality, or whatever. Culture's impulse to worship is now redirected toward idols. See, if, if the world wasn't fallen, the movies we make, the songs we create, the art that we draw would, would ultimately serve to lead us toward God and to join with all creation in worshiping Him and praising Him. But instead, because the world has fallen, many of these same cultural texts lead us away from God and away from worshiping Him and toward idols. Okay, it's, it's, well, I'm going to put it like this, and it's way more complicated than this, but, but think about a movie. A movie is telling you a story, and in that story it's communicating a certain view of the world. It's communicating a worldview. It's answering questions about who are we, and why are we here, and what's good for us to be doing, and what comes after death. Everybody has a worldview, and, and movies and books and television shows, they come from whoever writes them or makes them, they come from their specific worldview, and they're telling us a story that we enter into, and then we absorb some of that worldview uh, that we're interacting with. Okay? Every, every text communicates some, some, some kind of story. And the stories that are being communicated are powerful stories. They, they shape the way that we view the world. The stories that we get out of pop culture shape the way that we view the world. Uh, one, one big example of this, and we've already, I've already talked about it, uh, homosexuality. If you don't think that pop culture hasn't been shaping the way that we think about homosexuality over the last 20 years, you've got your head in the sand. There's, there's been a drumbeat to say, hey, this is okay, this is normal, this is an acceptable lifestyle. And what started as kind of a low murmur has now become a very loud roar. And, I, and I'll give you one example of this, uh, a song by uh, Macklemore. Let me just read a couple of the... Wait around. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me read a couple of the lyrics here. Same one. No, no, yes. if you're going to rap, I'm going to record this. <laughs> later, later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we go. The right-wing conservatives think it's a decision, and you can be cured with some treatment and religion. Man-made rewiring of a predisposition, playing God. Ah, nah, here we go. America the brave still fears what we don't know, and God loves all his children is somehow forgotten. But we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. I don't know. And then the chorus, which is very snappy, uh, catchy. I found myself like humming this for a couple weeks one time. Like it gets out of my head. And I can't change even if I tried, even if I wanted to. And I can't change even if I tried, even if I wanted to. That's telling a story. That's communicating the worldview. And as we enter into that that begins to shape how we think, or has the potential to shape how we think about the world around us. Now, the messages aren't always that blatant, okay? That one's kind of easy to say, oh, I see what he's saying there. Um, a, a, a lot of times, 
It's much more subtle than that. Uh, maybe the fact that in every Disney movie they're telling you just be true to yourself. But, but we would have no qualms, many of us, about sitting our kids in front of a Disney movie for hours and never interacting with them about what they're actually saying in the movie. All right, we've got our cuss word counters out and our acts of violence counters out, but, but we don't think about the worldview that's actually being communicated even in something like a cartoon at times. Uh, parents... Uh, what this means for us is that you can't just let the television or the internet or your kid's iPad or whatever be their babysitter. You can't just let them consume cultural text without talking to them about what it is they're interacting with. Um, because while cultural text, these movies and whatever, they can't they don't make you sin, okay? We carry around sin within us. But they have a very powerful way of shaping the sin of our hearts. Of connecting even with the sin that's still remaining in us, even as believers, and shaping us. Now, you might think at this point, you're kind of going, oh, this is one of those burning CD sermons. It's not one of those, okay? We're about to take a little U-turn here. Uh, I'm not telling you to throw away the television. I'm not telling you to lock the computer in the closet. That would be an equally bad move. Unquestionably, consuming everything is a bad move, but just removing yourself from everything in culture is a bad move as well. Because what have we been saying? There's an awful lot that's good and beautiful and true, even in the midst of things that are broken and falling. I want to read something from you, uh, from you, to you. Uh, Sammy Rhodes wrote this. He's the campus minister of RUF at the University of South Carolina. Some of you may follow his blog. He just wrote this this week, which was good timing for me. But he's talking about here how as a believer, when he first became a believer, he kind of went through one of these stages of, oh, i got to throw away all my secular CDs, and I can't listen to these anymore. And, and he's looking back on that. Uh, and, and he says part of that was simply out of the, this desire to follow Jesus and be holy, which is a good thing. But then he says this. On the other hand, there was a huge faulty presupposition at work. The one that says everything neatly divides into the sacred and the secular. If people are genuinely made in God's image, then the things those same people create have to reflect that image on some level, however poorly. Nothing is secular. Everything is sacred, which means there is beauty and brokenness running through every square inch. The temptation for Christians is to miss the beauty in mashup artists like Girl Talk or rappers like Lil Wayne and the brokenness in Christian artists like DC Talk. I don't want to put words in John Calvin's mouth, but I think he might have enjoyed some Lil Wayne, or at least appreciated him. He wrote uh, about enjoying, enjoying the gifts of secular culture, and here's what Calvin said. If we regard the Spirit of God as the sole fountain of truth, we shall neither reject the truth itself, nor despise it wherever it shall appear, unless we wish to dishonor the Spirit of God. For by holding the gifts of the Spirit in slight esteem, we condemn and reproach the Spirit Himself. And then Ted Turnell says, As it is, 
Much of the evangelical world is in serious danger of ingratitude to God for His good gifts. So then, Sammy picks up again and says, Yes, there's brokenness in Lil Wayne's music, but there's beauty too. Very few artists can put words together in a way that not only delights the ears, but the mind too. If good art causes the mind to quietly beam in in inaudible delight, then Lil Wayne is a great artist. And yes, there's beauty in DC Talk's music, but there's brokenness too. Not just with DC Talk, but with lots of, quote, Christian music. Sometimes it's musically or lyrically broken. Just Google the newsboys' breakfast in hell. Uh, Most of the time it's broken in that it misses the brokenness of life. Good art always captures what life in a broken world feels like. That's often why movies like Fireproof are facing the giant's ring hollow. Saying only music made by Christians glorifies God is like saying only food made by Christians glorifies God. Which would explain why we eat so much Chick-fil-A, actually. (laughs) It reminds me of the time my friend requested Derek Webb's wedding dress on their local Christian radio station. The DJ said they couldn't play that song because it had the word whore in it. And that wasn't very family friendly. I wish with all my heart they had said, you know who else isn't very family friendly? Jesus. Because he said he came to divide families. Besides, isn't there an entire book in the Bible about a prophet marrying a prostitute? Hosea was the original pretty woman. Of all the things that now me wishes I could say to then me, the biggest is to let them in on the secret. Life will never be as black and white as you want it to be, but gray is a beautiful color because it means we actually have to search our hearts, seek wise counsel, and prayerfully follow Jesus. The reason I wanted Jesus to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Dr. Dre and take up his jars of clay and follow me, (laughs) is because it made my life easier. Jesus' whole problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they didn't take his law seriously. It was that they reduced them to something much more manageable than what they actually required. It made them feel like they were keeping the law instead of knowing they hadn't and feeling their need for a Savior. And that's the point. We want to sell some CDs, but Jesus wants us to rend our hearts. We want 12 simple steps, but Jesus wants us to grow in wisdom. We want self-control to mean fewer margaritas, but Jesus wants it to mean a growing refusal to let anything or anyone define us but Him. We want life to be easy, but Jesus keeps trying to tell us it's going to be hard. Something Lil Wayne can perhaps teach us more about than DC talk. Out of the mouths of babes come strength and praise, yes, and rappers too. See what he's saying? Do you get it? On the one hand, we don't unquestionably partake of anything that comes our way in pop culture. But on the other hand, we don't reject everything out of hand either. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's calling you to thoughtful, prayerful interaction with the culture around you. Uh, as Christians who have been forgiven, we're called not just to obey the Great Commission but to, to obey the, the cultural mandate of Genesis 1. But we're to, to get to work making and creating culture, ruling, subduing, cultivating, 
studying, making art, writing songs, making music that points to these true and beautiful things in creation that in the end of the day brings glory to God because they are saying things that are true and good. We enjoy the good things. We're to enjoy the good things in culture that are made by both believers and unbelievers. We labor in a fallen culture mourning the evil we see and giving thanks to God for His good gifts. Now again, what does that take? Thought, wisdom, caution, prayer, getting out of our comfort zone, not having everything all tied up in a box for us and saying, do this. That's what God's called us to do. Um, let me give you, just as we're, we're getting closer to wrapping up, let me give you just a few kind of ground rules, I hate to call them rules, but guidelines to help you think about interacting with culture. Here's the first one. Just because somebody sins, commits a sinful act in a movie, doesn't mean you can't watch it. Okay? The Bible describes sin a lot. You can read it. Okay? It's, it's okay. Uh, and it's pretty graphic sometimes. The story told of someone who had gone to college and they got involved with the campus ministry. They started reading the Bible for the first time. They came home. They left the Bible open in Judges 19 and 20. Their mom came along. They picked up and read Judges 19 and 20. We're going to study Judges next semester, but you can go home and read this this afternoon. It is graphic. It is brutal. Um, they, the parent read this and said, Here, you can't be a Christian. You can't be involved in a Bible study. That is too violent and too gruesome. Okay, the, the Bible depicts sin. Anything that people are involved in is going to have sin in it because people are sinful. So you can't let that be your, your only guideline for what to engage with and what not to engage with. Secondly, though, just because you're called to engage culture doesn't mean that you can then go, and this is, this is, this is going to be your temptation. This is the first time you've heard this. You, you can't just go, hey, I can watch whenever I want to. Because I'm, I'm being a, a, a culturally minded, mature Christian. And I'm thinking about these things. No, you're not. You're looking for an excuse to, to watch porn sometimes. Alright? So, so, don't, so don't use this as kind of an excuse to go say, oh, I can interact with whatever I want to. Uh, you've got to be aware of what causes you to sin. You've got to be wise about what you interact with. Uh, whether it's music, song, whatever. I, I've got a friend, I'll just give you this example. Um, he grew up listening to a lot of Hendrix, and he says there's some songs by Hendrix that he can listen to and he's fine with, but there's some that he listens to that just take him to places he doesn't need to go. And so he knows himself, and he knows what he's able to interact with and what he's not able to interact with. Um, from Ted Turnall, he gives a few more hints. He says, know your limits. Know where you're weak and likely to be tempted and to avoid those cultural texts. But in avoiding them, you've always got to remember that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem's not there necessarily. The problem's me and my weakness. But know your limits. Know where you're going to be weak and tempted. Secondly, he says, know what offends and degrades. Um, don't engage in a text if it's so sick and twisted that you know you're going to be stained or feel stained just by listening to it or watching with it or whatever. And, and some of those things we would all agree on, some of them perhaps not as much. He says he has a friend who can't read Flannery O'Connor. Um, 
because it's, it's some for some, it's just so violent and dark. Like I just I can't engage in that, and that that's okay. Uh, thirdly, he says, know the emotional price tag. Living in someone else's head and seeing through their eyes, um, he says, can really affect you, even if it doesn't cause you to sin. Which is why, you guys know we all joke about this, I use Breaking Bad illustrations for like a year or two, it's been like. Um, but even though I watched that whole series and thought it really communicated some, some true things about what life in the fallen world is like and what the consequences of sin are, it was dark and it was violent. And so when I got done, as much as I would tell you, that's my favorite television show ever, I don't think I would get back and watch it again. Like I just like I've seen it now, and I don't it, it's just hard to watch. And because it's hard to watch, some of you just say, I don't I don't want to watch it at all. And that that makes sense. That's right. That's a good thing to do. Uh, what about kids? Uh, again, you gotta you gotta use wisdom and discernment with your children. You've got to think about what's age appropriate for them. Secondly, uh, he, he points out that, that we need to engage popular culture with our children. With your children. Don't just use popular culture as a babysitter for your children and have no idea what's going on. Watch TV with them. Listen to the songs that they're listening to on the radio. Play their video games with them. And then talk to them about what they've watched, what they've listened to, um, what what worldview is being communicated by this movie, and I can give you questions, I'll be thinking through that. But engage them about what they're consuming and what you're consuming, and then look at how it's affecting them. You know, there may be something you thought, hey, this is fine for them to watch, and then you kind of see, oh, I think that wasn't a good idea after all. But you have to remember that you're called to shepherd and disciple your children. You're responsible for for bringing them up in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so you can't just abandon them the culture, but you can't just make a bunch of rules either and think that's going to keep them safe and and help them to get everything straight. Um, Let me give you this. This is just from, from my life, and these aren't meant to be rules. This is just to help you. And I'm not saying these are right, even. This is just to help you think about how I think about this sometimes. Uh, we talk about Breaking Bad. I'm not watching Breaking Bad with my children, okay? Uh, maybe not till they're 30. Um, so, so, you know, you, you, you have to be wise. Band of Brothers, on the other hand, remember the HBO special about D-Day and Easy Company. I'm not letting my kids watch that yet, but I'm probably going to require my boys to watch it when they turn 18. Because I think it communicates that important uh, a message. Macklemore songs. Sometimes we listen to them. Sometimes we just say, no, we're not listening to that. Probably as they get older, we'll listen to more of them and talk about them more. There's sometimes, you're not just going to have this conversation with a four-year-old, right? So sometimes you, you just say, hey, we're not listening to that. Sometimes you do listen to that. Sometimes we're just kind of weird and we listen to Mumford and Son songs and, and, and turn the volume down on the cuss word every time. Um, which, 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 as they get older, while we're not going to encourage them to use that language, uh, Susan might, I won't. But, 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 but as they get older, uh, we're probably not going to turn it down every time, okay? You, you have to think about where people are and where your children are and where you are. Uh, what, what I would like to do a better job at, and it's the same place I'm encouraging you, 
is to actually engage them and talk about these things. Instead of just going, that's bad, don't listen, that's good, that's okay. Uh, it's like, well, what are they just saying? What, what, what's the worldview that's being communicated in that song or in that movie or in that book? So, that's a lot. Uh, to, to say basically this, this verse shouldn't be used to tell you not to interact with culture, but it should guide you in how you interact with culture. And then let me close with this. Uh, and it helps me to think about, Jesus, uh, about culture. It also reminds me of why I need to think about the gospel and about Jesus. Because what does it say? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise. I mean, what fits that description perfectly? That's not fallen at all. That we don't have to think about or analyze it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of our praise. And this text, I find it interesting, he says this right after he said he's given us instructions about being anxious. He's given us instructions about conflict. And what happens so often when we're anxious and having conflict? We think about those things. We can't get the anxiety producing things out of our minds. We can't get the, the things out of our minds that the person we're in conflict with. We keep thinking about the way they wronged us. And Paul calls us here, you know, for, for every one look at the conflict, take 13 looks at Jesus. Look at Jesus Christ. Think about Him. Think about the glory uh, of the Gospel, the way He has loved you in, in the Gospel. Think on Christ. We pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, you have come not just to redeem us, but ultimately to redeem culture. Uh, and, and we're a part of that. Uh, and so, Lord Jesus, we do pray that we would enter into this in the right spirit, being mindful of the sin in our hearts and the way that culture can affect that. But being mindful also to, to see the good things uh, in the midst of the fallen creation, the true and the beautiful and the right things. Uh, Father, help us to, to guard our minds and our hearts, but also uh, not to neglect, and not to, not to not love the good gifts you've given us. And Lord Jesus, uh, especially as, as we sing these closing songs and as we come to the table, would you help us to think of you and your gospel and to be transformed by that. We ask in your name.